0: Welcome to Soundwalker. This is your host, David Rothenberg. And this is episode 19. Erica Serino, Thicker Than Water. It's her new book about the plastics crisis. Plastics in the ocean, plastics in our bloodstream, plastics in our life. What can be done about the plastic crisis? Uh, Erica is a Launchpad Fellow at the Safina Center. And she's been a wildlife rehabilitator. Now she's a science writer, activist, campaigner. And she's, like the rest of us, stuck in this pandemic, trying to make sense of what you can best do to make the world a better place. So this is like a pandemic book, you think?
1: I think it's a, a first book and a pandemic book and uh-huh. <laughs> the world is crazy book.
0: What's, what's it actually like to see this garbage patch? Everyone has in their mind, I think everyone has a different view as to what what is in the Pacific. Is there an island of garbage or something? Is it a bunch of dogs standing on the garbage?
1: <laughs> I wish uh. it was a bunch of dogs on the garbage. You're more uh. welcoming. <laughs> uh-huh. um, instead, it was basically just appeared to be clean blue sea. And then when we look closely, it would be like, an item floating by, and then another item, and then it was a succession of maybe 10 items, and then everything stopped and calmed down. But then once we looked closely and, and dipped our nets into the water, um, we realized it was full of microplastic, which I'm sure you've seen some of the photos that I've posted about that, but these little particles that shed off of the uh, plastic items that we use. And
0: is, is there more of these microplastics in this one area, like they're concentrated? Yes. That's really. Yes. That's really true. Yeah. Concentrated in this spot but you can't necessarily see it you can go through it right and you might not know you're in the middle of the of it
1: the scientists i was dealing with likened it to a soup rather than a patch because right. it really is like a non-homogeneous mixture and uh-huh. also it's not all on the surface so it's not just like you know what we were scooping off the surface was not the end of the story mm.
0: how deep do you have to go to get the most amount of plastics in this area
1: we went as deep as two hundred meters by using this crazy water sampling device that looked like a pneumatic tube, and it was like it would dip down. Both uh-huh. ends were open, and then once you sent a weight down a line, it kind of snapped it shut, and then we pulled the water up.
0: <laughs> and how far? So, how far down is the most? That was
1: uh, two hundred meters down. So, but there's
0: that, that more two hundred meters down than one hundred meters. Is there? Oh, less? no no no. Where's no, the most? How far down do you get the most dense plastic?
1: We found it was not consistent, so in some areas maybe it was like the very top of the water column. We also used um, a device called a uh, vertical trawl, so it had like 11 different heights on it, down the first um, 20 meters of sea. So it was like dragging this, like this, through the water, and sometimes it was lower It really, it's not consistent, Mm -hmm. and that's a big issue with research, is that, like, all this research that's happened in the past decade or so has been really illuminating to the problem, but it's not necessarily giving us the full picture, because we can't see every inch of the ocean. I mean, this is a vast, vast place. So is is it
0: undulating, like, it might be one day, it's, like, 100 meters deep, and then the plastic rises to the surface, it's like a giant blob that moves, or is it, like, consistent, like it stays down here in the one area?
1: No it's knows. definitely a blob that moves because it is growing mm-hmm. in size um, as we put more plastic into the ocean. And then we could even go over the same area twice. And once we'll get, a, now my dog's joining us, once we'll get a, uh, a trolley full of plastic, you know, we go over it in one minute. And then like 10 minutes later, there's nothing. So it's constantly moving. It's like this amorphous soup because of the wind and the water currents. and waves and temperature so it's all interacting with the plastic and distributing it in different ways. But the
0: soup concentrates it more and more in this one area or does it spread more widely and it it doesn't move or migrate in large areas it it focuses in this one part of the Pacific Ocean.
1: So we're talking talking about um, the Pacific garbage patch which is actually a gyre so a gyre is a spinning vortex so that is what is fueling the movement of the plastic and the concentration as well because um, you think about kind of like the the gyre collects plastic kind of like on the shorelines of the United States Japan Asia um, Southeast Asia and comes back up and Hawaii is kind of like smack in the middle mm-hmm. and there's two smaller gyres within that large gyre we're talking about like ocean dynamics here so it's a little tricky without like a chalkboard to show you <laughs> but you know the equa- around the equator it's fueling the push of the gyre up, and so the equator had very little plastic when I sailed through that, but it's sending it up into the gyre, um, and there's one gyre closer to the U.S., one is closer to Asia, and those vary um, in concentration, but the whole thing is just plastic. But the rest of
0: the world, these gyres don't have plastic necessarily, like in in the Atlantic or in uh, some other Indian Ocean, are there gyres with similar shapes that do not have plastic, or we just haven't identified those?
1: We believe that there are at least, at minimum, um, two garbage patches based on the work of Charlie Charlie Moore, who's from the Algalita Foundation. And I'm, I'm looking at a map right here to just explain it a little bit better. But um, so the South Pacific has also been detected as like a plastic gyre. Um, and the Indian Ocean has it too. I'm going to turn this off so it stops beeping in your ear, um, really anywhere where the ocean is circulating in that uh-huh. manner, and we have five major gyres around the world, and there are smaller areas too, like the Mediterranean is right. super polluted, right. um, so its gyres can be hotspots for plastic, but it's not just like the only place. We can assume that there's plastic in every ocean but all over the But every planet.
0: gyre is going to have a plastic concentration. We just yes. don't talk about them as much because there's so much plastic in the ocean.
1: That well, that where, particular... Wherever there's
0: a gyre, there's going to be some amount of this concentration. For sure,
1: for sure. But wherever there's also... And also in the Arctic, like far away in remote places, but when we talk about the garbage patch in the Pacific, this one is famous yeah. because a lot of media attention has been put on it, For first of all. But second of all, it is massive, and the countries that border um, the gyre are huge, huge... Uh, producers of tr- plastic trash more than in the US cases, and Asia yeah. Right. Yeah. So we have like a highly concentrated amount there. You know a lot of Scandinavian countries have better I'm not saying it's great, but better waste management um, than the US for example. and we see that like where they border us, it's a little less plastic in the in parts of the North Atlantic, but it, again it's so variable that we don't really know for sure.
0: I mean, how did you first decide this is a place you wanted to go? Was it because you had seen these media reports, or was it before that that you got kind of fixated or interested in this?
1: Yeah, so I actually, my first job was as a wildlife rehabilitator when I was like 15 years old. So that's a long time ago. I'm almost 30 now. Um, and I treated sick, injured, and orphaned animals, and I knew a lot of the times they were affected by plastic. I could I could observe it. You know, It was either fatal or it was they needed to get fishing line pulled out of their throat or their wings were wrapped with a balloon string. Um, So all different types of wildlife. And I realized that the problem was just, I'm just treating the symptoms of the problem and the problem itself, if it was prevented, maybe I wouldn't have these animals in my hands that were on death's door, you know, like it just, can I stop the, the human hand from hurting animals before it gets to that critical point. Because that, like, that's what wildlife rehabilitation is. You're trying to give everyone a second chance because people in 99% of the cases have caused the harm to the animals, whether it's hitting a window, getting hit by a car, plastic, um, poison. I've seen pretty much everything. Um, and I'm still licensed today, so I still take animals uh, from time to time. And plastic still remains a major threat. But I, I thought, okay, so... I need to find out more about plastic. Let me go to this garbage patch. I I need to understand the problem. I mean, historically, plastic pollution has been painted as a marine problem, like marine litter. And in reality, we know that it's not. Um, It's ending up in the ocean, and it's terrible, but it's not the ocean's problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think
0: first of all, it's a terrestrial problem. There's just plastic everywhere, like garbage, and we see, we know it doesn't decay. And it, uh, you know, we feel guilty about it. This amazing material, we can shape anything. I'm just looking at so much plastic right here. Like the idea of not having plastic, you know, it, it's like uh,
1: well, like sound know, and music equipment. Every, every right possible. There's plastic. so
0: much plastic. I'm just looking at even like books printed on tree-free paper. You know, they they say right. it's like they say it's like you know some sort of cellulose thing. But you know, it's a certain amount of plastic is in this exactly. paper. And just everything else, like, you like, like um, you know, it's hard to imagine a world that doesn't have all no. this...
1: I mean, even the computers we're talking on... Uh, hmm, exactly, plastic. there's
0: so much plastic involved, and the materials, new materials yeah. have made this world possible. Right. And yet, I also... Myself can almost remember as long being taught by someone going back to elementary school that all this stuff is bad. You should wear wool and cotton and natural um, things, and you should make your own backpacks out of rope. Like like all the yes. modernity was suspect. At the same time, we were going. <laughs> I full, love that approach. Yeah, right.
1: Well, I've become that, that person, that curmudgeon that says, oh, I, you know, you can use all cotton shirts, and, but, you know, nobody's perfect, and I still use plastic because I can't escape it. Um, I try to walk the walk as much as I can, you know, I'm building houses house this year, and I try to use no plastic, which is really exciting, um, very hard challenge, <laughs> but, um My my house is actually coming from Norway with uh, sustainably forested wood. So that's exciting, but it it is a challenge. And I mean, finding stuff that's not plastic, it's often more expensive. Not always. And I think there are ways to get around it, but there are some cases where it's almost like plastic has its cornered. Like, we have no other choice. Like... If we want a cell phone, it's like you can't have
0: a phone made out of wood. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Earbuds and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Towards the end of your book, you, you, you really want to talk about what can be done about this. How could plastics right. be made right. better? Because we haven't all had them that long. And, right. and we could be on a transition to something else. But I still want to be out of the garbage patch. Like, How did your, your feelings about plastic change when you were actually there?
1: It was totally shocking. I mean, I was a person who I've always been obviously environmentally aware because of my job. I care about wildlife and care about nature. And then going out there, I was just shocked like to see human trash in this pristine, beautiful, I mean, it seemed pristine to me. I mean, the beauty of the ocean is something that is a sight to behold. And you know it too, because you've been out with the whales and it's just a remarkable place. And I you know, I would just stare out there and I'd be like, this is amazing, this is amazing. But then it's like, oh no, people are ruining this. Look at all this trash. It would be like a light bulb floating by, a fish crate, a shampoo bottle. There was a big ghost net that we wrestled on board that must have weighed 300 pounds. Um, so that was unbelievable. And you just think about it and think about, okay, we're using all this stuff on land. Why is it ending up in the ocean? That was another big question. Why is it here? Um, where is it coming from how is it getting in the ocean if we are recycling and you know we put things in the trash can and they go to the end of our driveway and then it's not our problem anymore but that's the problem is that trash will always be our problem if we're creating it um yeah so it was a a lot of feelings of melancholy out there because it was just like this immense beauty and then this horror you know seeing it in the water and the ghost net, too, it was like when we found that, we were like, we're taking this out if we can get it. It was very hard to take onto that small sailboat which, by the way, as you've read, had a disabled engine at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Later, a disabled rudder. But we knew that even just taking that one big ghost net out might spare the life of an animal. Um, so that, Or it might have struck a ship, you know, an engin- another engine would be disabled. We, we don't know. Um, but it, there's no way to easily clean it up that's the bottom line
0: right and you felt like at least it was this symbolic act get this one big dangerous thing out knowing that that you couldn't take all the dangerous things out you know you were one little boat it wasn't a cleanup ship exactly
1: yeah Yeah, we were researching but that Uh, was one danger to take it out Yeah. yeah yeah
0: that's very admirable yeah Myself, I remember going on some whale journey to the Dominican Republic and we stayed on right. one very nice kind of shaggy beach with little shacks and people around. And then we were driving around the country. We came across another beach. It's just totally strewn with garbage, mostly plastic. Like this one place, you know, because of the winds and the currents, this is where everything washed up. And, right. you know, no one's going to bother doing anything about that. This beach was there. The garbage is going to be on it. And I was shocked just seeing, like, you know... And it seemed like a glimpse of reality, like the reality yeah. of this, this season, the Caribbean is so much garbage and here's where it ends up. And yeah, and that was well, an
1: amazing juxtaposition there, right? Like you're in this beautiful place and then all the trash is just going there for some reason. And you, you can tell why. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's a current that's pushing it there. And uh, I went to a beach like that in Hawaii called Camilo Beach. And it was one of the least visited beaches, but it was covered with the most trash. And it just shows you that, you know, the problem is all around us at all times. Um, But we're really good at either turning our face or not looking at it um, from kind of a, you know, personal point of view. It's like we're all using it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in Hawaii, nobody wanted to clean up that beach. Oh, there's a definitely uh, people that want to clean it up. There's they, a Hawaii Wildlife Fund. Are they doing they it or it's
0: just too much work?
1: Well, they go every week and they've removed remarkable amounts. And it's still of just plastic. more
0: and more just comes. Oh, yeah.
1: always. And they, and they told me, I mean, they're like, we're going to go clean it, but we know it's all going to come back. And the day that I went was a light day. They were like, oh, it's not so bad. I'm like, it's not so bad. <laughs> you know, the water was completely saturated with microplastic on that beach where the dogs. Uh went in to swim and they came in to the beach and they're right. covered with plastic and you're just shocked. Like, you're right. shocked it's not it. that micro, you can see it. Some of it is Some super of it's micro. even more micro, yeah. It it's just it's always gonna be plastic as it breaks but, up into those tiny particles. Yeah, it's very
0: disturbing people are wearing fleece like this, like it just goes into the sea like this horrible right. horrible
1: stuff and and um, you know Yeah the the Fibers from our clothing um, are a huge source of microplastic pollution, and again, yeah. it's like they're so small, and we can't easily, you know, see that that's happening when we put our clothes in the washing yeah. machine, and then everything churns yeah. up, and then it pushes that wastewater out, and then it's gone, and it's like out of our house, out of my sight, and uh, all those little fleece yeah. particles are in, going into a lake or a river somewhere, where tiny organisms like um, Daphnia and other like little yeah. planktons that are really important for the environment are dying. I saw one get entangled under a slide, microscope slide. And he couldn't breathe and couldn't move mm-hmm. or died. So it's, it's deadly on every scale that we look at.
0: That would be a good video to have. Do you have a good video of microscopic creatures choking to death on microplastics?
1: It's wild. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. 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 Daphnia. Yeah. They, they need can... to move to breathe yeah. or to mm-hmm. do their things. And uh, if their legs get caught in these fibers, I mean, that's game mm-hmm. over. So if it's wool or cotton fibers no problems. Not necessarily. I don't know the right. incidence of that. I also don't right. know do those part, do those fibers um, shed? They definitely break down.
0: They totally shed. I mean anything clothing you wash is pilling little pieces coming off cotton and wool all the time. Right. So they go somewhere. But, but they're totally but how much? But are they, what size? Are they fine? Right. Are they fine? What do you think?
1: I don't know. Yeah. I think we have to ask I the know. question and, and really look at it because if, if they're big, maybe it avoids entangling small creatures. If right. they break down fast, maybe they're just gone. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. And there's so much research that needs to be done, but like most human endeavors, the creation of plastic was just like, here you go. Right. Buy it. Make some money. <laughs> On the beach in Hawaii Wish you were here with me walking on the beach in a while, playing on the golden sand, looking at the ocean. Now I understand.
0: Is there any way to reform plastic? Could there be a better kind of plastic that just, um, you know, uh, where the life cycle completely goes back into itself or or it's like, you know, because we've just had plastic 120, 30 years or so. Can it evolve into something that's more environmentally sound or there are not enough market forces to make that happen?
1: Scientists are looking at different ways to make it kind of either break down or make it more recyclable um, There are some plastics that are more easily recycled than others because they require less treatment and less addition of chemicals Yeah, and toxic chemicals in plastic are a major concern. I mean when these particles turn into microplastic It's like a little yeah delivery device of you know plasticizers, phthalates um, BPA possibly uh, all different things and mm-hmm. And they can change our hormones. They can make us sick. Come here. We have a little dog break Come here. Come here. Mm-hmm. A great guard dog, which but... can be... He's guarding uh, against dangerous topics. Things yes. start to get, like, you know, but, difficult. So my take, my take on this, though, is that new materials can help if we can circularize plastic. Yes, that could be a great thing. We should use the plastic that we already have if we can recycle it. But... I there's a strong um understanding that part of this problem is just the consumptive throwaway culture and if we make plastic something else could it truly be circular or would it still fuel this wasteful i mean we still we throw away paper we throw away metal glass i mean it's not just plastic Mm -hmm. but plastic is a problem because it has this legacy that just kind of sticks around and tortures us for the rest of our existence. I mean, it's now part of the geological record. We can't, can't really say that in the same capacity of other materials that might start degrading over time. I mean, we would find artifacts, but plastic will never ever go away. Like, so you mentioned you're going to build a house with as little plastic as
0: possible in it. Yeah. Can you think, what are some other things in your life where in the course of this research has led you to say, I'm going to get something different, I'm going to buy something different, I'm going to not buy anything, because I have enough stuff in response to, to what you found out? Like, have you, have, mean, you th- have you thought of something that most people think is made of plastic, and you said, I found one not made of plastic. Let me tell you hmm. about it.
1: Anything? Well, those are, those are great questions. I... So I'm the type of person that I will never shame someone for using plastic because I think sometimes there are not other options or, you know, it's not my business. But personally, I do take steps because I just think that if I'm going to be addressing this issue in my writing, I should be trying to live a lifestyle that reflects that. And it it isn't so expensive when, you know, I've tackled it and I'm not a millionaire, you know. Um, I've just kicked plastic out of my life by reusing things I have and, and not like you said not buying new things uh-huh. I mean I don't buy things I mean the house is like the only thing I've bought in a very long time <laughs> right but, but you're
0: so if you have plastic things already you're going to be reusing those right but yes. I was kind of interested in things where you said I could have gotten this thing made of plastic but instead I got this one made of not so, plastic
1: yeah. I have this one that I've had for 10 years. Oh, very nice. This well, what's I've had that? For two years. Tell people about these a,
0: things we're we looking at.
1: I have a beautiful uh, aluminum clean canteen with a bamboo top. Mm-hmm. And I have this plant-based um, owl decor uh-huh. coffee cup that is reusable, but you cannot put it in the microwave because it, uh-huh. it's made out of some kind of plants.
0: Now, is that a plant-based um, plastic? How would you define that material?
1: Those are really tricky. So this is... I don't know what this said. I can't read the bottom because it's all uh, covered in coffee. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would say that there are a lot of different plant-based plastics out there. And as I described in the book, uh, they're not necessarily better than plastic because a lot of times uh, manufacturers will put chemicals so that they act right. like plastic, mm-hmm. feel like plastics. We love our plastic. Uh, um, and it's it's like counterintuitive and it's not really the right way to go about it because it's you're just putting chemicals out there. And if you're making... Plant-based plastics. Some of them do actually contain just fossil fuel-based plastic. That's mixed with other types. Um, but plant, fully plant-based <laughs> sugar and starch-based plastics, are supposed to biodegrade under composting conditions, like municipal composting conditions. Like that's a part of the certification for some of those plastics. Not all, but you, if you look for, um, you know, various certifications. But that coffee
0: that. cup, do you have right there? Is that going to do that? Is that one of those? plant-based cool plastics that...
1: that um, this is like a reusable to, plant-based uh, cup. I've, I would need to... I really can't uh, read it. But we'll, we'll search for that further. If I have... Um, I'm just intrigued because this would be an
0: example. Like you can get your reusable coffee cup and it doesn't have to be metal. And almost all the cool metal ones have plastic tops. Usually yours has bamboo on it, but maybe there's... I love this. Uh, uh, I, I does I it have zero, well, I the top, have zero plastics? Does the top have zero plastics? Does it have zero plastic? Zero plastic with...
1: A, I think the only thing that's plastic that ring what's that ring? tiny yeah. silicon yeah. ring yeah, yeah. Right? so that
0: counts yeah, yeah. so it's usually a little bit that's used because humans yeah. humans like to seal stuff we love materials you know yeah. Mason I mean, jars okay. have plastic what did they used yeah. to have rubber rubber wasn't quite the same right
1: rubber's not the same it's yeah. not always great either i mean no they're cutting have, like, down all these forests you know,
0: exploiting the natives and you know
1: It's horrible, but the bottom line is we have to consume less, and I think that's the lesson I like to give because people do ask me, oh, you know, what kind of reusable thing can I get? I'm like, okay, well, look around. I mean, if you need a cup for your kitchen, do you have any glass jars that you have from buying food that you can use? Okay, do that. Or, like, just reusing clothes, doing clothing swaps, thrift stores. I'm all about just using what you have. I mean, my house is going to be a lot of scrapped materials that... I can get for little money, which is helpful for me, but it's also like helpful for the planet. Things are not going to a landfill. I recently started really focusing on landfills um, because I, I know that there's an incinerator in my community on Long Island here. Um, and I've been working with a community in Brookhaven that have a landfill. And the ash from the incinerator goes to Brookhaven to these people's mm-hmm. backyards. And so the community of North Bellport. Um, which is primarily indigenous, black, and Latinx have this landfill right on top of them. Mm -hmm. And the whiter communities do not, they're not so close. Um, And in my neighborhood where the the ash is pulled, you know, we don't look at these interconnections. So there's somehow, now my community has a relationship to Brookhaven and this community of North Belport, um, simply because, you know, we're sending ash from that community to this community, sorry, this community to that community, um, and there are other incinerators all over Long Island. And then you can look back and say, okay, what's the legacy of landfills on Long Island? And we have a very special legacy because we are supposed to be closing all of our landfills over deep mm-hmm. water recharge areas um, because landfills emit chemicals that mm-hmm. seep out of our plastic and other garbage mm-hmm. um, into the ground, into the groundwater, um, not into the air as well. I mean plastics off gas a ton of carbon dioxide and methane and other um, you know noxious chemicals so it's it's a human health concern on many levels and it's not just this blight you know it's not just a polluted beach and I like to remind people of that because I think a lot of efforts to clean up and also efforts to bring attention to the plastic crisis have kind of missed the mark with incorporating this full picture because it is really a full picture and the incinerator where I live is actually built on a closed landfill. Mm -hmm. So what did, you know, what's the legacy of that landfill? No one told us. I didn't, I didn't know it was in my community until recently. And is the incinerator
0: better than a landfill? Is the incinerator a good thing or it's bad? No,
1: it's bad. (laughs) It's again, it's enabling us to keep Uh uh, doing this kind of throwaway lifestyle, Uh uh, living this throwaway lifestyle. And uh, it's just, it's horrible, uh, the environmental justice aspect of it. I mean, the idea that the people closest to it are going to be exposed to toxins. um, And almost always this kind of infrastructure is in Mm -hmm. uh, communities of color, indigenous communities, Latinx communities, and it is a form of environmental racism. So that's Mm -hmm. something that my book is trying to bring attention to, because it's not been talked about. I mean, when I went to the garbage patch, I did not... I mean, I I knew that this was an issue, but I didn't understand the scale of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look almost everywhere, it's it's there. So what,
0: what about people who say that getting off plastics is something for rich people because others can't afford it? And worrying about like uh, fast fashion is something for rich people because if you don't have as much money, you appreciate how inexpensive things can be. And that mm-hmm. we have enough to worry about. Don't tell us to worry about the things we can afford. How would you respond to that argument?
1: I would say... Um, you know, is is this material and is the money that the corporations, the huge amounts of money that corporations are making from it, is it worth more than human lives? Because the people on the front lines, many of them are trying to encourage people to go zero waste and, and they're doing composting programs and community waste audits and efforts to um, bring attention to the need to just stop consuming so much because they realize that. I mean, everyone realizes that's a big problem. (laughs) Not everyone, I don't want to exaggerate, but many, many people will, if they were asked, they would acknowledge that we do consume too much stuff.
0: Yeah, except the people with less money, you know, applaud the fact they can afford these cheap clothes, and that these very ecologically responsible things tend to cost a lot more. And if someone says yes, but they'll last longer... Um, you know, you're buying something that's better for the planet. And, and many people would say, you got to be rich to think like that. I just got to clothe my four kids. Saying. You know, that, that it's, yeah. it's, I mean, this is, of course, so there's plenty of activists who are not wealthy, but a lot of people, right. there needs to be a good answer to that argument because people applaud the fact that t shirts are really cheap and that, and that, yeah. that it's not well, like over consumption it's just the fact of being able to, needing to get by
1: on less. For sure. And I think, like, if economically people, I mean, plastic is cheap, right? And that's why it's so ubiquitous is that we've just applied it to everything, even including our clothes, like a lot of our clothes are plastic. Um, But the argument there, to me, it's that we need a societal value shift. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we think about money far too much. And I think like cheapness and money and like, what if everyone was taken care of? What if we eliminated racism? What if we addressed systemic inequality? Um, and we can try to do that by addressing plastic and holding mm-hmm. the corporations that literally have mm-hmm. tens and hundreds of billions mm-hmm. of dollars. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they being held accountable? And why can't their money be used to fix this problem? That's
0: Yeah, you're probably aware of M- Michael Mann's argument in his latest book. Uh, what is his latest argument? Uh, he talks about the crying indian do you remember the crying indian you're probably too young to remember the crying indian but you might have heard about the crying indian
1: i know of the campaign i've seen it yeah it was yeah.
0: this ad that we all saw as little kids like a little black and white tv we had in my house my parents didn't believe in color tv that's nonsense tv's bad anyway but you know so we, you can have tv but it has to be black and white and you know old we're not going to get a new tv and so we're watching yeah. this crying indian in black and white you know He's crying, he just sees litter, one piece of litter, he starts to cry, like it's you, you've got to clean up, it's your fault. Right. And then Michael Mann, who grew up with watching this ad, he's a similar age, he goes, what a lot of bullshit that is. This ad paid for by a corporate counsel, like it's their fault, it's the corporation's fault. They're just passing the buck on to you, so you feel guilty
1: right and so is, that's it, so is that like... what happens
0: with plastics now I feel terrible about all the plastic stuff here. it's now my fault but is it actually the corporation's fault and that we should hold them accountable in a different way than we're talking about now like should they have to make you know responsible recyclable plastics should they have to include a certain amount of uh, reuse in everything they make and that's part of the whole life cycle analysis that right. Bill McDonough argued for, that, you know, it's companies' responsibility to do better. Is that different than making us all worry about the plastic stuff?
1: Well, I'm a person who I hold myself accountable first, and then I hold others accountable, and I think that we have to do both. I mean, it is a a personal issue, for sure, but it's also an issue of the major corporations, and and they have brainwashed us to buy plastic in these heaping quantities without telling us the Mm risks, without having a way to deal with plastic in place because there's no such place as a way with plastic. You can't just throw it away. It does not usually go away. It usually actually gets incinerated or dumped in someone else's backyard. Um, And much of the plastic, even that we recycle, put in a recycling bin, does not get recycled. Um, Of course, yes. Yeah, and so that's that's huge. And I think if we pass legislation, excitingly in the EU, we're seeing the um, single-use plastic directive now being implemented. And there are efforts to hold plastic producers accountable to shut down the illegal waste trade, mm-hmm. which is putting uh, burdening some countries, lower, usually lower-income countries, with uh, wealthier countries' waste, and you know another environmental justice issue. Um, so it is, I think, multiple levels of accountability. We have to ask ourselves. You know, we we've been trained, and you know, I grew up in the '90s. Like that was the time to just buy stuff and throw it away. And, right. <laughs> My parents will talk about money all the time, and I'm just like, I don't know, I'm a kid. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think fundamentally we do have to shift and understand what do we value as a society. And if it is human life over money, which hopefully we all agree on, um, can we hold those corporations accountable by passing legislation, which is probably our best bet at the moment, um, requiring that they implement circularity into their products? Um, requiring that they stop making certain single-use stuff that just can't be recycled. Like, that's a big one, too. If we can't recycle it, why are we even making it? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, and then if, if, you know, if we do recycle, we have to actually do it. Um, and we have to find a way to do it that does not pollute, that does not waste water, um, you know, that does not put people at risk of, of work um, injuries, which, you know... Plastic has so many aspects to it, and it's just like the corporations are gonna keep, it's like it's like talking to, <laughs> it's like talking to um, a person who just is so insistent and they will never change their point of view. I, I feel like they're just, it's like the oil and gas industry too. It's like they don't want to admit that they have caused an enormous problem that is harming so many people and has and shifted society in this really bad way um you know instead of just saying we messed up we're gonna fix it they're just like putting you know keep america beautiful the terribly named crime indian campaign who by the way that man was actually um an italian american actor not even a native american of course person. yeah
0: they never had indians never. acting in those days yeah yeah but he was good so,
1: he was a good he was good. He got that one right. and uh, right. but, but Keep America Beautiful, I actually just uh, reached out to them for an article because I am writing an article about this at the moment. And um, it's really laughable how they continue with this spewing misinformation. It literally is just false information.
0: Well, people also, there's a side where we're, we're going back to our thousands of years of religion. We like feeling guilty. We like feeling that whatever we're enjoying is bad humans like to feel terrible about their behavior. we, we, we fueled whole civilizations on this. Mm. That part is nothing new. What it is we're supposed to feel bad about might have changed. It used to be everyone's a sinner, now everyone's a polluter. And so we're used to that approach. The, the problem is how do you deal with all this terrible news and the force to be pragmatic? I'm sure you read the news over the week. Very well reported on the BBC, the, you know... Uh, last week about how right before the climate change meeting all these big countries are making their pledges but saying things like Saudi Arabia yes we're going to be totally carbon neutral but of course this means we should speed up our petroleum production oh, yeah. Argentina saying like yes you know it's wonderful we have to go on a plant based diet but of course we need to produce as much meat as possible that's what we do here right. and you know you know, the, the most interesting was the, this uh, guy from the you know, energy authority in India saying, you know, we're going to be powering stuff on coal for 50 years in India, we know you see, we have the coal and we're going to use it and then we're going to meet our targets like, don't you see a conflict here? I I can't comment on that you know, it's not my division you know, things like that, like people just don't want to actually radically change how things are done because it's so inconvenient that's why it's this inconvenient truth and plastics are clearly, you know right in the middle of that as well
1: They totally are. And that's a really important point is that if we keep making and using plastic, we're going to accelerate the climate crisis. And that's something that absolutely nobody can escape. Maybe the people that choose to fly Mars and the moon, but like, if you don't have earth, you know, what do we have? And it's, it's really sad. And I think it's pretty pathetic actually that the people in places of power, um, and I'm using air quotes with that because it's, People have power, and I think we're not powerless. And the more that we feel paralyzed by the incompetent people who are leading our world, um, actually not not even leading our world, but like kind of dictating us in an author- authoritarian way, um, because like these corporations, they just want to make money. That's all they want to do. They want to have power, political clout, so that they can control things and make more money. And it's it's not about like you know. And it goes, it goes so deep. It's like this identity thing, too. I mean, you see people who every day, I got to get my Starbucks. I got to be seen with my Starbucks. I got to be seen with my Fendi bag. I got to have this outfit from Gucci. Like, why do we do this? Why? It's so stupid. <laughs> um, and I just think that we, if we are those people, we have to just pause and say, do I want to be like this? I mean, if other people are being harmed because of our... Consumptive, identity driven, um, me, me, me lifestyles. It's like our values need to shift. And until that happens, we're going to let this collapse keep happening because who's going to stand up? Um, and I've been really, really fortunate to meet people and go to communities where people are speaking out. And I think we just have to keep going. I mean, we have to go down with our ship. I mean, at least I'm going to be loud and annoying and say, You're all fools, stop using plastic. <laughs>
0: You're, you're not. I'm going. You're not going on any rocket to space anytime soon. No, no, no. You're I'm staying really on staying this Earth. ship. Yeah,
1: um. Right. I'm staying with Earth, and uh, you know, I. It isn't our fault as everyday people, but we have to also see how we are part of the problem in this secondhand kind of way, where the corporations have taught us how to use plastic. We're not bad. Plastic itself is a material. So, you know, we can't really say it's good or bad. It's just a thing. But why has it been mass produced, you know, billions of tons? I mean, that's like crazy. And we have no place to put it. So why are we still making it? Makes no sense.
0: Is there any encouraging news that you can think of some industries or companies or or some producers of plastic that are listening and changing the way they produce <laughs> stuff? Is there anybody?
1: I mean, to the it? credit of some of some corporations, um, you know, I spoke to people at a company called um, Buy Humankind. So they're kind of a cosmetic and personal care products company. And they do listen to consumers and they have changed um, or they've created products that are refillable cosmetics and shampoos and soaps because a lot of that stuff that we buy is always wrapped in plastic, which is, is great. Um, all is a shoe company that they are working to create shoes made out of plastic, like reuse plastic, like water bottles and um, other things. But, you know, these are not necessarily the bottom line solutions, but they are helping. And I think it helps when companies listen to consumers because they can drive change. If no company wants to buy plastic, then why are pl- what are plastic manufacturers going to do? But they're going to they're probably going to look for another avenue where they can use plastic. Like they're building plastic roads. Like Dow Chemical in India is building plastic roads, and yet they continue to churn out more plastic. So they're selling us these false solutions. We have to be really savvy as people, and that's why I like to say we all have to be accountable. We have to be savvy enough to know what is right and what is wrong. And you know, for example, like the aspect of plastic, it's usefulness, it's not evil, but the people that are selling it to us in these enormous quantities and not being responsible for cleaning it up, that's pretty evil. Um, So we have to just understand the nuanced picture and not just, we can't shame people who use plastic, it's everywhere, we can't, you know, if we can't afford to buy anything else but food wrapped in plastic, can't shame people for that. We can't be elitist um, like many people are for some environmental issues. And mm-hmm. like, cause that's not going to work. We all use plastic. It's the great equalizer of materials.
0: <laughs> so what do you think is the most successful way to try and convince someone who, who, you know, who doesn't see the problem as clearly as you? Like what, what strategies work to get people on board with changing our behavior? What, what, what do you think? I, think,
1: I think community is really important, and um, in this great time of pandemic, which seems to be dragging on and on, <laughs> um, a lot of us have been really isolated, and I think it's hard to feel motivated to change if you don't see exam- good examples around you, um, and luckily, many, many communities do have people that are fighting this issue, whether it's the environmental justice aspect, the recycling aspect, um, you know lobbying corporations to change their ways. I mean, there's so many elements to this problem. Cleaning beaches, you know, it just goes on and on. Um, So there's always something you can do. And I think getting up close to the issue is one of the most helpful ways to learn about it. And that's, it's definitely affected me. I mean, I have been to, you know, from the end of the pipe to the front of the pipe where plastic is made and everywhere in between. um, And it definitely changed my, my life and my view of plastic. And it is an urgent issue. I think that's another thing too. Is that in our age of rapid media and everything is fast, we forget about things, especially when we're staring at a plastic screen all day. So, <laughs> this, might be, this one
0: might be glass. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's yeah. certainly a lot of plastic in this thing we're looking at. Definitely, so yeah. many plastics here.
1: Yeah. More um, and more, so and is, more
0: coming in. Exactly. Like we. Yeah. Right. It's hard to avoid it. Yep. A community, that sounds good. Yeah, in my town, in Cold Spring down the street, a small shop just opened where you can buy things in bulk, bring your own containers. I love that. I love that. Which is a new development, stuff. yeah. So you could just bring your container and fill it with so basic something... staples. And it's like a pop up shop that appeared in the corner of a former antique store. So great. I haven't been in, of course, but.
1: Oh, definitely you go in. I'm going to go in.
0: I'm going to go get some stuff. I'm going to bring my containers
1: and fill them. And there was one in Copenhagen called Los, which uh-huh. means loose so yeah. everything is loose yeah and um and there's also a fix-it cafe like a repair cafe you go in for free and then people that are specialized across various trades electronics repair clothing repair whatever wood repair um they just help you fix your things so you don't have to buy new things i love it like that is what we need more That's of great idea yeah great idea Bring people together. And so you mentioned earlier
0: that you know in Europe in the European Union they've been a pioneer in laws that might help on these issues. Can you give an example on some place where that's worked?
1: Um, So I spent most of my time in Copenhagen, so I have Mm -hmm. most understanding of what was going in there, going on there. Um, So one example was to try to circularly recycle or as circularly as possible recycle plastic meat trays, Mm -hmm. because you know we buy a lot of food that's in plastic. So what if we can take those meat trays and turn them into meat trays? Because typically, if they are recycled at all, they'll be turned into something else, mm-hmm. like a, a lower value item like a bench or a, a park slide or something like yeah. that. You know, It's not going to be turned back into a meat tray, which is what we need because uh-huh. you're selling the same products so over and over, let's just keep using them. It's like the reusable, like when you're at, um, when I was in school too, it was like, a, you got a lunch tray and you- The doing trays, the tray. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you could do that and and just reuse them, that would be a great way to minimize the waste aspect of it. So they did that um, and added their PET trays into my book um, and they added, I think, I forget the percentage of plastic, but it was much less than they would add in a typical recycling scheme where most plastic is actually new plastic or virgin plastic rather than recycled content. So the trick is trying to shrink the new plastic percentage in that recycled plastic, and just so it's fully recyclable, you know, over and over again. Um, and people had no objections to buying meat in recycled containers, which was really nice because that's another aspect of it. Can we socially and um, ideologically like separate that weird feeling we have when we see something that's not in like fresh plastic? Like that, uh-huh. you're like, oh, it's clean, it's new, it's s- sterile. but. Yeah, I don't think people assess the,
0: the quality of their plastics. Like, <laughs> you're talking about meat trays like we have made of styrofoam, in, in, mostly in America. That we kind have of styrofoam
1: thing. usually, but these, were, using these plastic, are using plastic, right? Light. They're like very, very lightweight, mm-hmm. things. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what I thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and like no one likes those styrofoam trays. Like, and I, I don't think that oh, it's great that the plastic on top is pristine. Like, I. I yeah, people just like, <laughs> well, you, think it's, it, you can see what it is you're buying, yeah. we like that. But it's, it, it, it is a bit troubling, you yeah. know, more, all the, the amount of, the, of these things and, and um, yeah.
1: But, so the people though, like the scientists that were doing this experiment, they weren't sure. They were like, how will people receive this, mm-hmm. that they're getting their food in recycled plastic? Because mm-hmm. they, they don't know, right? Um, but also, uh, composting is great um, and in denmark we had these green bags in my neighborhood and you put the food in there the food scraps uh-huh. and you just toss it in the spin at the end of the day and that's where it goes so you know municipal composting is great but we can do that in our communities too we don't need to wait necessarily for the governments for our municipalities to do these things for us sometimes we can do them ourselves um, yeah my friend
0: evan eisenberg in calicoon he created recycling in his town you know, he he, he he got people to put out these bins, and he personally would take them all to the dump and where they had sortable recycling areas. Wow. But the town wasn't collecting it, so he did it yes. himself. And not in his regular car. I mean, it was a small town. Like he's sort of wow, wow. showing you that you could just do it, which I thought was quite admirable. Yeah, it's, like, it's
1: almost like we have to have these guerrilla like. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna go for it. We're gonna just do it because it's waiting is is not working. Um, and it's amazing that the EU has passed the directive. Mm-hmm the companies are doing as much as they can the corporations making plastic to water down this legislation of course, and yeah, seen it with yeah. plastic bag laws and bans and right. taxes and it's going to keep being this big struggle um, until something fundamentally shifts which we could get legislation passed in the u.s um, we're looking at the break free from plastic pollution act but now that bill has stalled um, because there was not enough interest so well for years
0: in europe they make people have made people pay for plastic bags so that people will yeah. reuse them and think it's normal, or that a plastic bag is worth something right. rather than thrown away. And then, you know, that's happened around here. There are no plastic bags in stores anymore. And right. So you have to bring them. So that, that people said that's never going to fly. And it did. I don't know how old Which is great. They, I mean, it's a it small
1: step yeah. forward, very, very small, <laughs> but uh, it can make an impact too. So I think that's part of it. Part of the book I wanted to convey as well is that it's not one solution. We need to drive a value shift. We need to address systemic issues. We need to um, hold the corporations accountable. That's a really big one, um, and and just be resourceful. I mean, people are pretty resourceful. I learned a lot of lessons being on that little sailboat in the Pacific. As you probably read, it was like very very spare. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it. I mean, like that's that was the richest time of my life. Best, hands down. I will never have a time as great as that. But it was so simple living. Like, no creature comforts, except for my cold little bunk. <laughs> well, hot when we crossed into the So comforts, are you going
0: but... to go back? Are you going to do something like that again? What's the next adventure you want to send
1: yourself on? I don't know yet. I'm still processing this pandemic. And I think it's imp- it was an important time for me to... Step back and look at the big picture and see these interconnections, for what they are. Um, yeah, definitely going to keep working on these plastic issues and hopefully um, collaborate with some of the other frontline communities. I mean, and address the own the my own issue, which is that incinerator in my current neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So.
0: So do you you felt you had a good pandemic? Was the pandemic good for you to be alone (laughs) and to think, or was it an incredibly miserable, frustrating
1: time? I would say that I was very fortunate that I didn't get ill, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. The COVID didn't get me um, yet, (laughs) or maybe it won't. Uh, But it was, I mean, it was hard as it must have been for everyone, but I felt very, very lucky to have uh, a dog and a place to live and uh, enough food and enough money to get by. And, yeah, I mean, some days it was very lonely. <laughs> That's great American whale.
0: That's great American whale. Well, Americans don't care for much of anything. Land and water, the least. And animal life is low on the totem pole. With human life not worth more than infected yeast. Americans don't care too much for beauty. They'll shit in a river, dump battery acid in a stream. They'll watch dead rats wash up on the beach. Complain if they can't swim. They say things are done for the majority. Don't believe half of what you see, none of what you hear. It's like what my painter friend Donald said to me. Stick a fork in their ass and turn them over, they're done. thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Soundwalker. The music you've heard today by new order ziggy marley and lou reeds part of erica serino's thicker than water playlist which you can find on spotify and the book is available from island press available anywhere you can get books these days we'll see you next time